If you have a Bible, you might like to open to that lovely book of Job, chapter 1, because I'm going to read from there in a little bit. If you're regularly here, then you'll know we're in a series at the moment called Letters from a Friend. And um, the challenge of this is that at the end of each talk, there's a letter. Um, And it might sound presumptuous, but it's not meant to. But what I'm really hoping is it's, it's a letter that God might speak to us today. Sometimes I wonder, of all the stories in the Bible, which one I would most like to be mine. I think of Noah and the ark. Wouldn't that be great? Don't you think? Would have been pretty challenging. I've still never quite worked out what happened to the fish. But it would have been extraordinary, wouldn't it? I think of David and his victory over Goliath. I quite like the idea of that one. That surely must have been an extraordinarily powerful moment, don't you think? I think of Daniel and the lion's den. Or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the furnace. Best life group meeting ever. Because there was a fourth person who turned up. And I have a sneaking suspicion it was Jesus because that's the kind of thing he does. And we've already sung about that this morning. They must have been quite extraordinary experiences. Or I think of Paul on the road to Damascus. Have you ever prayed for a Damascus experience? I have. I'd love to have that, wouldn't you? And God turns up so powerfully that you answer without realizing you've done it, who you're looking at. These stories all have their highs, of course, but they all have their lows because they are ordinary human beings involved. Sometimes I wonder, of all the stories in the Bible, which story would I least want to be mine? That's easy. I'm not sure I have to think too much about that. That would be the story of Job. By any account, the story of Job is an extraordinary story. Here is a good man who experiences the most awful tragedy. And if I'm totally honest and totally selfish, I do not want his story to be my story. Maybe though some of us know a little bit what it's like to live a story like Job's. Job chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 1. In the land of us there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to hold feasts in their home on their birthdays, and would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of fasting had run its course... Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Job lives in the east, in the land of us, where he is the greatest man. Now, why does the Bible tell us that? Why is that significant? Well, because it means he was not from Israel. This story is unique in Scripture Because it is not about Israel. And that's significant because it is a book about what we all face. 
In other words, it is a story about living in the world as human beings. And that means, however much I would like it to be otherwise, this is my story and it is yours. But the staggering truth of this story is that it is actually, really, truly, wonderfully good news. In the beginning, everything is as it should be. God has given Job a wonderful life and at this point it appears, it appears as though the blessings he has received are in proportion to the amount of obedience he offers to God. This view is the view his friends seem to hold. It also seems to be what Job himself thinks. And it is the argument that Satan uses when he argues with God. Job, Satan argues, only loves God because God has given him extraordinary wealth. We know that trouble is coming to Job. And from Job's perspective, it comes from nowhere, without warning, and no explanation. And some of us know what that's like, don't we? Trouble comes from nowhere, without warning, and with no explanation. And the rest of us are hoping that it never happens to us, aren't we? God tells Satan he's got it wrong. Because at the core of the universe is self-giving, self-sacrificing love, and that human beings were made to give and receive that kind of love, and that they are capable of it when they face things that are going well, And when they face days of excruciating pain. And God is confident that Job is capable of choosing the way of love. Job chapter 1 verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, everything is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And Job loses his entire family apart from his wife along with everything he owns, but his suffering has only just begun. Chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. 
It just gets unbearably worse for Job. No family, no possessions, no status, no health. And maybe some of us know what that's like, don't we? Just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. My heart goes out to Job. How can anyone bear that suffering? My heart goes out to you today if you can identify with Job. That there is a letter coming for you from the God of Job who is confident in you and in the truth that love wins. When Job loses... Suddenly and unexpectedly, his family and everything he owns, he speaks words which are now probably quite famous. Job chapter 1, verse 21. Um, Actually, I'll read from verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robes and shaved his head. Then he fell on the ground to worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. What brave words. Not sure I would have said that. I'm going to suggest, though, that, that Job is profoundly wrong about God. When Job suffered in his body and is encouraged to curse God by his wife, Job speaks again. Job chapter 2, verse 10. He replied... You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Wow. Brave words again. Far braver than I think I would have managed. But again, I think he might have been wrong about God. By the beginning of chapter 3, Job is beginning to sound a bit more like I think I might have sounded. Job chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now we're getting real. He said, May the day of my birth perish and the night, and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it and may blackness overwhelm it. Job's saying, I wish I'd never been born. This is too much to bear. He pours out his heart with a level of bitterness, confusion, sorrow and anger towards God. That is, actually, if you think about it, staggering. But honest. And when God finally speaks in chapter 38, he tells Job he is quite, quite wrong in his understanding, but he applauds his honesty. Friends, I believe that genuine faith begins in absolute raw honesty before God. Throw at him all your pain, all your confusion, all your bitterness, all your rage, and God will take it. Actually, he will welcome it and applaud it. Some of the Psalms are great examples 
of people doing just that. And you know, one day I might preach a sermon in the Psalms. I've thought about this. I'm just not sure I can do it yet. Where actually the whole sermon would simply be reading a psalm in the way it was written. Just capturing the emotion of what somebody wrote down on a page. Go, go read some. Go find some. Job's main understanding of what God is doing is that God must have arbitrarily decided to turn against him. Expressed as we have seen by him saying, the Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. That's the kind of thing God does. He just gives sometimes and he takes away sometimes. And at his worst, Job understands God to be acting ruthlessly and capriciously. He doesn't really care, that's just what he does. And therefore, God is actually responsible for all suffering and all blessing. So he can give it or he can take it away. And he just decides, on a whim, that's what he's going to do. Job's friends understand it slightly differently. They too understand that God is involved in Job's suffering and they keep telling him so, if you read it. They rightly believe that God is just. And they therefore believe that Job's suffering is what he therefore must deserve. They keep telling him, you must have sinned, because if you sin, you get, you know, you get this stuff happen. The central idea of their theology is that pain and suffering in this life are a direct result of personal sin. And how many times have I heard Christians say that? Job adamantly declares that he is innocent. He maintains that all the way through. But his friends stick to their argument. And most of the book of Job is them having a bat to and fro. Job's saying he's innocent. They're saying you're not. Can't be. Now, it's not in the script, so look up for a minute. The trouble with that kind of theology, actually what's happening for Job's friends is they're thinking, goodness me, we have to keep that theology going because it hasn't happened to us yet, so we must be doing something right. They're actually protecting themselves. They're desperately hoping it never happens to them. And they're just protecting their own way of thinking. Now friends, maybe this is just me, but how many times have you heard somebody's story and thought, I wonder what they did? Satan and Job, it appears, put the blame on God for all that's happening. His friends put the blame squarely with Job. The truth lies, I am convinced, in how we read the response God eventually gives to Job. Truth is, here in this story, God has already written a letter, which you might have read before, not only to Job, but to you and me. Now I'm going to use different words today. But more than you can know, I am really hoping that I am saying the same thing. Because it may just be that this is what God would want to say this morning. So to those of us living in the land of us, dear Job, To those living in the land of us, those living in a place they never expected to be or wanted to be. To those living today with a deep sense of pain, injustice, 
disappointment. To those of you wondering, where is God when it hurts? Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for pouring out your heart. Thank you for telling the truth about how you feel, for getting angry, really angry. Thank you for shouting your deepest angst, your pain, your sorrow, your confusion. I'm so glad you had the courage to tell me what's going on inside. It is better that way, much better. Come closer. I so desperately want you to know that I know how things are for you and that my heart breaks at the injustice, the unfairness, the randomness of the way the world is. I know that sometimes you think that I am sending you these things to teach you something or to remind you of something, something you haven't followed me as I was like, but that's not true. It's simply not true. I love you because I love you because I love you, because I love you, because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. I'd love to explain it all to you, but I think there's something more important for you to know. And in truth, the world is extraordinarily complicated, so understanding it is a little beyond you. What I want most for you to see, at least in a tiny little way, is what I'm really like. Not what you think I'm like, or what you've been told I'm like, or perhaps what you've learned about me. And maybe the best way for me to do that is to show you around this world, the world where love is possible. And as I do that, I hope you'll see that I am worth following in the good times and in the really hard times like now. I had such fun putting the universe together, you know. I wish you could have seen it. The moment when I decided just how far it would stretch. The moment the morning stars sang for the first time and the angels shouted for joy because they just couldn't help it. There's so much more I'd love to show you and explain to you, but it's just too vast, too vast for your human mind to capture. Do you know what? I simply love the things I've created. Oh, I love the ostrich. Yes, the ostrich. You look at an ostrich and you think it's a weird bird. Bit ugly maybe. No brain to speak of. Well, not one enough that it can remember where it lays its eggs. And it can't even fly. But you watch it run. Oh, I get so much delight by watching it run. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And the hippo. Wow, the hippo. The hippo gives me absolutely nothing but the joy of knowing it's mine and seeing it wallow in the mud. Actually, it ranks as my best. I love it. I absolutely love it. Why wouldn't I love it? I love pizzazz. I love to watch the beauty of the created things because they bring me so much joy. I just love to give. There's more. There's so much more. It is endlessly good. I hope you see that I am uncontrollably generous, irrationally loving. This world is a world where love is possible because I am love. 
But it's also a world where evil is possible. And there is one who wants to kill, steal and destroy. And sometimes you get caught in the crossfire. My love is greater by far. The evil one is wrong. He's wrong about me. And he's wrong about you. And he's wrong about love. Love wins. I know that's hard to see right now. But love wins. I love you so much that Jesus went to a cross and allowed himself to be nailed there to die for you and show you that love wins. And love is still winning. It's winning all over the universe. It's winning in the hearts and minds of people just like you. It's winning in the lives of those who are downtrodden, those who are suffering immense and almost unbearable pain. It's winning in the lives of the wealthy and the poor, the powerful and the weak, the healthy and the sick, those for whom life is going well and those for whom it is a nightmare. It's winning in every place, in every country, on every continent. Love is winning wherever anyone opens their heart to the love that I have and so want to give them. Love wins. And one day, one fine day, one bright hour, every one of your tears will be wiped away and there will be no more tears. One day, one fine day, one bright hour, there will be no more suffering or pain. One fine day, one bright hour. My friend, my dear friend, I invite you in your pain, in your struggle, in your confusion, to let my deep, deep love surround you. My love that is vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. My friend, let this love that endures, this love that will never give up on you, this love that wins surround you. Let it surround your deepest pain, all your heartache, all your confusion. Let it surround all your secrets, all your hurts, all your regrets and all your worries. Let it surround your biggest doubts and all your lurking fear. My dear friend, plunge yourself into the endless depths of my love and you will find that my love is enough you will find that you can trust me with everything. My dear friend, thank you for coming. I hope that love is winning in your heart and that you will choose the way of love. I am confident that you can, for it is the best way.